Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name is Brent. In this episode, we're discussing SST92, the compilation album Cracks in the Sidewalk. We've covered some of these songs before. I think we've talked or mentioned most of these artists before, but we it's the first time that we're going through it in this package. Um, so very cool to get into that. And we're coming off a break, Brant. This is a, uh, a surprise episode in the summer. Yeah, I guess we're not coming off a break. We're going back on break <laughs> after <laughs> right this episode. Immediately after this episode, we're back on break. Right. <laughs> Anyways, I was going through withdrawal and I was begging Brant uh, for weeks on end to do an episode. So here we go. Yeah. Good excuse to catch up and uh, go over some spiels. I've got a bit of a backlog, Brant. Uh, how about yourself? I've got a few. Lay it on me. You lay it on me. How's your summer going so far? Oh, man. How's my summer going? Yeah. Um, I guess it's been really wet and then really hot. <laughs> <laughs> other than that, other than that, just working like a dog. Hit, as me, usual. hit me with some spiels then. What do you got for me? Okay. I was kind of hoping you'd go first, but um, I'm going to start with this one. Why not? Brent, have you ever heard of the group called Blackface? Yep, Chuck Dukowski and, uh, oh, why can't I think of his name from Obnox? Oxbow? Oxbow, sorry. Yeah, the guy from Oxbow, Eugene Robinson. That's him. Yeah, I stumbled across this at uh, one of my local shops and picked it up. It's uh, obviously a take on Black Flag. It has kind of the same font on it and it's uh described as uh black flags chuck dukowski and oxbow's eugene robinson equals blackface a selective collective take on music as riot and dukowski era black flag and it says on tour spring 2012 yeah i have it it's good they were supposed to do a full length and they never did something happened and i think that it was around the time that the flag thing happened as well yeah, it might have been 2012. Yeah. You like this single? Uh, I seem to recall liking the A side, not so much the B side. Ditto. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's same with me. It has a couple of other guys in it. Tom Dobrov and Milo Gonzalez. Yeah, Milo, I believe, is Chuck's son. Yeah, and it's on Hydrahead Records. And uh, it's kind of neat. I, I stumbled across it and I was like, whoa, what the hell is this? And we've, then I read we've mentioned it, it before. I don't recall it. Like, Yeah, I've uh, talked about it for sure. Yeah, well, you know, I'm getting up there in years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other thing that was great about picking this up at the record shop is um, there were these dudes at the record shop and they were talking and I couldn't help but overhear this one guy. The one guy's like, it was just the most perfect record store conversation. The guy was flipping next to this other guy and he's like, oh dude, that's my go-to Goblin album right there. <laughs> that's right there. And I'm like, I'm going, you mean Goblin like that Italian prog rock soundtrack band? And this dude is like, that's my go-to Goblin album. <laughs> this is so record store. Anyways, um, that's probably... The, the best and i also was i also was thinking like do i do i sound like that do brant and i sound like that Probably. and i'm like oh yeah we totally sound like that 
I also, uh, since I was at the shop, though, I thought I would, uh, there's been no, no slowdown in terms of new tunes that I've picked up that I thought I would hip you to. Okay. Uh, can I, can I hit you with some kind of rapid fire? Yeah, go. Okay. The new Cherubs record. Yeah, I heard it. It's good. Immaculata High on Relapse. Awesome. Yep. Um, the new Mets collection on Sub Pop. Hmm. Automat. Awesome. Like, what uh, is it? Singles? Yeah, it's kind of early stuff in singles that were, like, obviously uh, uh, interspersed during the, the three records, but some of it preceded. And so some of it's a little raw, but it's just... I mean, if you like Mets, you will like this Automat collection. And if you buy the LP, it comes with a uh, a bonus seven inch inside, which is always cool. Right. Very working in a coal mine. The new uh, Savak or Savak. I don't know if you know them. It's mm. called uh, Beg Your Pardon. This is um, a guy who used to be in a band that I I like from way back called Edsel, but he was also in the Obits. Hmm. And, and he's also Spock's dad. What? Savick? Yeah. <laughs> no, man. That's not Spock's dad. Yeah, it is. Savick? Yeah. Is it? I'm I'm not hold on here. I gotta I gotta I gotta check that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's Sarek. No It's Sar it's Sarek, dude. Okay. Check your head. <laughs> Savick, the new album, beg beg your pardon. Uh the guy uh the guy from the Obits, Sorab Habibian or Herbibian. Good record, Savak. Um, another band that I've I was I've been a fan of a long time, but they've got a new record. They've kind of risen from the dead. Giants Chair. Hmm. Giants Giants Chair is kind of like I think they were kind of grouped in with emo, but I would say they they're not not emo, but I would call them more post hardcore, I guess. But their new record pre Fabylon, Prefabylon, I guess. It's it's self-released. You can get it on their Bandcamp. Awesome if you like that stuff. Uh, I was hoping a, you were going to say they were like a Jethro Tull-esque prog band with a name like that. Giants Chair? Yeah. I think you're thinking of Gentle Giant. That's probably right, just, yeah. Just so we're clear, it's Sarek yep. and, and Gentle Giant. Gotcha. Anyways... Uh, new record by All the Saints called uh, "Looks Like You're Going Somewhere." Yeah, I heard good, that too. It's good. Good record. Yeah. Uh, when I when I bought that one, uh, I also picked up uh, a record by a band that I'm a fan of, but I didn't even know they had this release. Band called Survival Knife. It's former guys from Unwound. I know them. Yeah, I haven't heard heard their new one. It's uh, well, I'm not sure that it's new actually. Uh, the Thrill physical jockey? copy. The name of the record. The label. This one's on Chunklet, okay. I believe. Yeah. It has uh, Brant Sardino and Justin Trosper or Trasper from Unwound in it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that it's a new record, but it was new to me, and I picked it up with the All the Saints. Um, and uh, it's okay for me to listen to them digital, because I know physical copies are coming in the mail. I and, think I uh, have one of their records on Thrill Jockey. I could be they wrong. They might though. have one on Thrill Jockey, yeah. yeah. And Survival Knife, though, it's good. I mean... Unwound are uh, a favorite of mine, and um, for for people who haven't checked them out, you should check them out. Especially their the Numero box sets that came out, very nice packages. 
you mentioned on one of the last two episodes, I can't remember which one it was. I think you were on a rant, in fact. <laughs> but you uh, you mentioned the new Jay Robbins record, Unbecoming. Right. That's a great record. Like, I really, really enjoyed it. Played around the house a ton. And then uh, the other record that I picked up lately that is killer. I mean, there's not much on it I haven't heard before, but it's just a great package. Is that shellac? Um, Peel Sessions, Double LP, End of Radio. Mm. Just awesome live stuff from those guys. Awesome. So that that's a quick rundown of some new tunes I wanted to hip you to. Right on. Agreed on the Jay Robbins. It's good. Yeah, really good. Yeah. Makes me, and now that Jawbox is playing out, man, they should put out a new record. Totally. Now, I wanted to do something a bit different because the other day there was like this you know, top three, no, what was it? Top 13, top 13 albums that Buzz Osborne listed out like two weeks ago or something. It was on this, uh, this site called The Quietus. I know the site. Or, or maybe it's The Quiet Us. <laughs> uh, and uh, anyways, he, he listed out like his top 13 albums and I kind of, I went past it. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to come back to this. Anyways, I just went to the Google machine and I went like Buzz Osborne top albums to try and refine the article. And dude, I came up with Buzz Osborne has been putting out like top whatever of albums for decades and hmm. people have been publishing them. And so I picked out my top five Buzz Osborne top record lists. Okay. I wanted to run them down for you and see if any of these. I also I want to run them down for you real quick, um, but there's some there's some records on there that I know you're gonna go like ape shit over. There's a bit of um, there's some records that are on like almost every list, and yeah. then there's some crazy stuff like, that I thought it would... like Flowers of Romance. I know he's a big fan of that album. Yeah. So so can I hip you to these Buzz Osborne lists? Yeah. Go. Okay? Yep. This is from 1995. Okay, this first list from the Spin Alternative Record Guide, 1995. Number one, Dead Boys, Young, Loud, and Snotty. Yep. Number two, number two Sex Pistols, Never Mind the Bollocks. Mm -hmm. Three, Flipper, Generic Flipper. Number four, The Faith Voids, uh, Split on Discord. Number five, David Bowie, Station to Station. Mm -hmm. Number six, Wipers, Youth of America. Gang of Four Entertainment is number seven. Uh, number eight is Pussy Galore, Sugar Shit Sharp. Number nine, Black Flag Damaged. And number 10, Pale Flowers of Romance. So that's 1995, okay? Okay. Now, I picked this top five lists for a reason, and you're going to start to see it soon here. On Discogs, he has a list called Essential Wax. Number one is The Knack, Get the Knack. Number two is any Rolling Stones or Stooges album. Just says, <laughs> just says all of them. Now, uh, <laughs> I, will, I will disagree with any Rolling Stones album. There's a ton of Rolling Stones albums that I don't like, but whatever. Uh, number three, Judy Garland, live at Carnegie Hall. That's just Buzz being Buzz. Yeah, he, he said that, you know... You'd think that it sucks, but it's actually good. I don't know. Here we go. Number four, 
Judas Priest unleashed in the East. Now we're talking. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. But but wait for it. So and then the, this is only a top five list. And number five is the Mentors live at the Whiskey. You know what song is on that Judas Priest album? Which one? The one that you mentioned there, Unleashed in the Studio. Unleashed in the East? Yeah. People yep. call it Unleashed in the Studio as a joke because it's, you know, one of those live albums that is maybe not live. Like Kiss, Kiss yes, Alive, right? like that. Yeah. Uh, they, that has the Green Man Alishi with the two-prong crown on it. <laughs> oh, is that right? Yeah. That's a Judas Priest song. No, it's a Fleetwood Mac song. Peter Green. Oh. Peter Green's Fleetwood oh. Mac. Yep. But I, I've often wondered if the Melvins did it because of the Priest version. Yeah. See, I, see, I know that I knew that this was gonna tip you off to some stuff. I so. can almost guarantee you, though, that the Flesh Eaters did it on their most recent album because of the Peter Green version. Probably not the Priest version. Exactly. Yeah. See, see, I'm pulling out some branch feels because of these <laughs> lists. Okay, here we go. Okay, that's only two lists. Here's the third one. Okay, this is one from April 2018 from Revolver Mag. It's called. 10 albums that made me. This is by Buzz Osborne again. Number one, Neil Young, Zuma. Oh, that's a great album with Crazy Horse. Oh, that's got one of my all-time favorite songs by Neil, Looking for a Love. Do you know that song? Just a beautiful song by Neil. Yeah, I'm not much of a Neil Young fan, dude. Oh, love Neil. And that's a a great album. So now, now... That's a sleeper. That's a Neil Young sleeper album. Yeah, so number two is a little bit more up my uh, alley. Miles Davis on the corner. Yeah. Great record. Not um, the best of that of the fusion stuff with Miles for me, but a good one. Uh, Buzz said it's a huge influence on the Melvins drum-wise, and it totally mm. is. Yeah. Uh, number three, Z, uh, ZZ Top. Can I call it ZZ Top because we're in Canada? <laughs> Let me guess which ZZ Top album. Hit it. Tres Hombres. Correct. Yeah. Uh, number four, David Bowie, Diamond Dogs. So a yeah. different Bowie album. He likes David Bowie. I know that. Yeah. Uh, number five, Tom Waits, Blue Valentine. Mm-hmm. One of my all-time favorite uh, Waits albums, like pre-Swordfish Trombones, Waits records that are just heartbreakers. Um, number six, Rolling Stones, Sticky Fingers. Classic. Yeah, number seven, CCR, Bayou Country. Classic. And here's um, our first repeat, Pussy Galore, Sugar Shit Sharp. Hmm. And then uh, number nine is the Lawrence of Arabia soundtrack. Okay. Mentions again that the drumming as part of the overture in Lawrence of Arabia, very influential on the Melvins. Number 10, Red Cross, Teen Babes from Monsanto. Hmm. So there you go. Here's the second last list. Top grunge albums as picked by Buzz Osborne from April 2019. So the same month is the last one we just did. Um, number one, Soundgarden, Bad Motor Finger. Great album. Yeah. Have awesome. you heard any of the live stuff? The new, Li- the new Soundgarden live? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, the... I've heard a ton of live Soundgarden, and Chris Cornell had his good days and his bad days live, if you're being honest, right? Yeah, well, some of that stuff's really hard to sing. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Number two, he picks Nirvana, never mind. Number three, the self-titled U-Men, 
12 inch mm-hmm. number four the tales of terror record that's a great album Yep, hugely influential on uh, the grudge scene, obviously. Yep. Number five, he picks the Mud Honey Touch Me I'm Sick 7-inch. That band, Tales of Terror, really reminds me of the Canadian band Personality Crisis in a, in many ways. Yeah. there. Well, how many articles have you read where it's like the Canadian band Slow plus Tales of Terror, you know, were huge influences on the grunge scene, right? Yeah. Those two are always mentioned together. I've never really thought of Personality Crisis, though. I'll have to listen to it again with that in mind. Just more of a rock thing, almost. Yeah. Like, well, like uh, Personality Crisis was almost a rock band to me, you know? Yeah. Buzz describes Tales of Terror as the Stooges plus Dead Boys plus some hardcore. Yeah. Kind of like uh, kind of like Personality Crisis, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, number six is Flipper. Generic again. Yep. Seven is Nirvana Bleach. Dale drums on that one for some tracks. Number eight is Soundgarden Super Unknown, which is uh, another great Soundgarden record. Number nine is the Malfunction Collection, Return to Olympus. And of course, uh, the Melvins do that song with your heart, not your hands. And then number 10 is Babes in Toyland Spanking Machine. And, uh, Buzz tells a story about how the Melvins and Babes in Toyland were touring with White Zombie and how Rob Zombie was a total dick. Yeah, I've heard him talk about that before. Yeah. Buzz tells the same story a lot. And now to the final list. No love for Tad, hey? No, no love for Tad. Damn. Yeah. So here's the last list. This is the one that I saw a couple of weeks ago. This is from July 18th, 2019. And I was like, oh, I want to go read this list. And there's a ton of Buzz Osborne lists. Here's the last one, though. Number one, Tom Waits, Blue Valentine. So what, there's a what's re- the th- what is the theme of this list? Like just his favorites or? The one on the quietus? This one you're reading now. Or the quiet us? Yeah. Uh, hold on a second. Let me pull it. I think it's called the Melvin's Baker's Dozen. Oh, okay. it's called Buzz Osborne of the Melvin's 13 Favorite Records is what it, this one is called now. Okay, so Tom Waits is still in there. Blue Valentine, so that's a repeat. Pill, Flowers of Romance, that's a repeat. Jeez, man, like, so the first one you read was from, like, 1990. And he's still 90, he's still sticking with, like, man, I wouldn't have had, not, I don't know how many of my picks would have been the same. Yeah, so, but just wait, okay? This is the top 13. Okay. okay? Number three, The Who, Who's Next, mm-hmm. which is a great record. Yeah. Number four... Elton John, Captain Fantastic. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've heard him mention that before. Yeah. These next two, I can't agree more with. Um, And for the reasons that Buzz gave too. The Pixies, Bossa Nova. Buzz says that's their best album. I've always agreed with that. I I love the early Pixies, but Bossa Nova is the best record start to finish from my view. Not a Pixies fan. Mm, Too bad, so sad. The next record... Also, could not agree more. Gang of Four, Solid Gold. That is, hands down, everyone's, and Buzz says this in the article, and I agree, I've always said this to myself, I'm not trying to be cool here, but everyone always, you know, name checks Gang Four Entertainment as, you know, oh yeah, you know, Gang Four, Gang of Four Entertainment, you know, I'm super hip. Solid Gold is 
an insanely awesome record. And Buzz mentions about how influential it was for them, especially for the Ozma record. Hmm. And totally, totally great record. The next one is The Fugs, self-titled. Okay. The Fugs, Brant. 60s so, kind of pretty arty band, I think, for the 60s. He he kind of describes them as um, a hippie band, but not the lame type of hippie, and and more funny. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Um, the next one, you and I are both a fan of too, I know, The Gun Club, Fire of Love. Awesome album. Yeah. Number nine, Judas Priest, Unleashed in the East. <laughs> It is it is really good, man. <laughs> I I pretty much had this idea for a spiel just because of the Judas Priest references for yeah. uh, number ten, T S O L, Dance with Me. Love that album. That's a yeah. that's a favorite for me. I I've always liked uh, Beneath the Shadows more, but uh, Dance with Me is is a go to album for me. I listen to it all the time. Yeah. This one that like the top thirteen, I'm pretty sure this is the one where he's like, are he was trying to make it, you know, records that I listen to like at least once a week. Hmm. This was his top thirteen, is how he described it. Number eleven, Red Cross, Teen Babes from Monsanto, another repeat. Number twelve, Flipper, generic, another repeat. And then the last one of all of these lists, which I totally agree with. Butthole Surfers, Psychic Powerless, Another Man's Sack. Yeah, not my go-to Butthole Surfers, but I love all the early Butthole Surfers. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting just to see the stuff that was kind of swapped in and out, the stuff that remained constant over the years, because Buzz is kind of touted as a tastemaker, largely because, you know, know, supposedly – he was uh, he was someone who hipped Kurt Cobain to all sorts of cool stuff and whatnot. But I, I don't necessarily like all the albums that he listed. But you can't disagree with almost everything that he listed. I guess, right? Yeah, for sure. So that's it. I thought I would try something different. Five lists. There you go. I'm surprised there's no Warlock Pinchers on there. That's a band he's mentioned quite a few times, and I think the Melvins have covered that. I wanted to get into because i love that name uh but they're just not my thing what are warlock pinchers like i gotta know <sighs> they're like really weird but not like i like really weird stuff i don't even know how to describe them man they're, i guess you could say they're kind of like the butthole surfers maybe oh but not as interesting for me hmm well i've made a note to check them out i gotta check it the name's too good. That's it. Yeah. That's my spiel catch-up. I'm out. Okay. I have a correction, Ryan. It's been a while since we talked about some of these albums, but here's a, a little thing I got from Chris D about the Middle of the Night record, Divine yes. Horseman. I think I had said, Ryan, on that episode that it was John Doe singing a, a line on the track Voodoo Idol, when in fact it was Chris D singing all of it. So... I got to go back and listen to that again. Hmm. Yeah. I think I was just assuming that because John played on a couple tracks on there, but yeah, it's not him singing. And he, Chris sent me a cool thing about the cover of that. We were, we were talking about it in the episode, the car on the front of middle of the night is an Oldsmobile, a hand-me-down from Chris's parents. He says it was a real gas guzzler. 
and he does have a pint of whiskey in his hand. The shot was taken on the gravel driveway behind the house Chris was living in at the time. The, pol the Polaroid was color, and uh, the photo was taken late afternoon, and when he laid it out for the album cover, uh, he made it black and white with a blue-tinged layer over it to make it look like a moonlit night. So I thought that was cool. Yeah. Even cooler that it's on a gravel road on top of an Oldsmobile now. Yeah, man. Okay, here's a recommend for you, Ryan. This band Chilton, as in like Alex Chilton. Oh, yeah. But it's a band. And okay. the, re the record's called Little Birds. It's on a, a label called Dead Broke Records. And the, the band is uh, this guy, Josh Carruthers, who is kind of the main dude. Uh, he was in like a New York City thrash band called I Farm and another band called Earworms. And then this guy, Neil Halpin, who was also in Earworms and a few other bands, uh, one called The Shemps, who I've never heard, but cool name. Devin Hoff plays on the record. I think it's like a studio project. Uh, he is a like a bassist. He's played with a bunch of people, Fred Frith and Nels Klein. And then the guitar player in the band, the second guitar player, is Bill Stevenson. What? Yeah. And the, cool. rec the record was recorded at the Blasting Room, so you know it sounds great because all their stuff yeah. does. Right on. And the description online says it combines elements of rock, surf, punk, and our higher selves, and a touch of math where it makes sense. Neat. Does that intrigue you, you, Ryan? Very much so. Have you heard it? Yeah. And? It's good. You should check it out. I think you'd like it. I will, I will. Yeah. Speaking of Chilton, did you uh, pre-order that uh, replacements box set that's coming out? No, I didn't, but I pre-ordered the Cult Sonic Temple box set that's coming out. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we, we both pre-ordered the re-release of Teenage Head Tornado, though, right? Both did, yes, yeah. Yes, we both did. We had yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Definitely a big spiel coming when that, when that one shows up. Sonic Temple? No kidding, hey? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, I like uh, that. Uh, what's the album that I used to just crank by the call? Electric. Yeah, that's a good one. Is that the one that has the line "plastic fantastic lobster telephone"? <laughs> I think it, I think it has that line in it. It could. Yeah. Hey Ryan, speaking of reissues, did you see that Dinosaur Junior is reissuing all of their major label albums on Cherry Red Records? Again, they're being reissued. These are double CDs and double uh, double CD and double vinyl packages. Okay, got to yep. get them. Okay, so it's Without a Sound, Hand It Over, Green Mind, and Where You Been. Nice. Uh, all have, the LPs have like the singles, the B-sides. Here's the kicker. The CDs have way more tracks. Uh, all the CDs have a complete live show on them. Uh, Green Mind has, a it has 12 songs live from Hollywood, 1991. Where You Been has Live in St. Paul, 1993, eight live tracks. Uh, Hand It Over has nine tracks from Stockholm in 1997, and Without a Sound has 11 live tracks from London 1994. So a really nice cross-section of live stuff from uh, that era of Dinosaur Jr. You know, I'm, I actually did not know that. I'm happy you brought it up because now i got to get on it. But 
man, I, I'm just maybe I got to go on a rant. I'm tired of buying, you know, third reissues. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I guess I guess it's because they're hard to find or something, or like you want to put out these extra tracks, but. X did that. Who else did that? Elvis Costello did that. Um, Those X reissues sound pretty good, though. Look, I, I'm not saying that there that there's nothing there. It's just I I would like to just buy one reissue and know that that's it. Yeah. Well, you know, some of the there is some padding on here. Like there's some instrumental versions on some of the reissues, which just to me, I won't even listen to those once. It's just completely uninteresting to me, you know. Yeah, well, I'll I'll definitely check them out. Though, you probably sure. have all of the B sides already, just on singles. Yeah, yeah. The live stuff, though, I I will check that out because I do enjoy some live dino. You want to do cracks in the sidewalk? Sure, man. History lesson part one. All right, so I mentioned that. We have covered some of this before. I'm pretty sure, like I can't recall what episode it was that we went through this, but I mean, I think we may have even described some of the artwork on this before. So I feel like we have, yeah. I can't recall why, though. It was originally released on New, Alli- New Alliance. That might be why we kind of brought it up and did a bit of a mini spiel on it on its own already. Well, I'm sure um, we talked about it a bit on the Chunks episode. Yeah, um, and we've definitely mentioned it, I think, on the My First Bells episode. Yeah. Uh, that SST32 for the Minutemen cassette compilation, and we probably also mentioned it on the Sacrin Trust Sacramental Element episode, SST84. And then I was trying to think, when did we mention the Black Flag track? And I'm thinking it was on the first four years. Yeah. Is there somewhere else? Okay. So we've touched on this a few times, but interesting to go through it as a package because there's some tracks on here that we definitely have not covered before on the B-side. Yeah. Well, I got a few things from the excellent A Wailing of a Town book by Craig Ibarra. Yeah. So here's a quote from Jack Brewer in there. He says, and I know, Ryan, we've talked about New Alliance records lots before, so we don't really have to give too much of a history lesson about the label, but here's something that Jack said. Sometimes I take credit for coming up with the name New Alliance Record, New Alliance Records. It's between me and Greg Hurley. We had an improvis- improvisational noise band called New Alliance Circus prior to the label. Greg brought the name to D Boone and he decided to use it for the label. I don't think we've mentioned that before. And here's something Watt says in that book too. He says that they started it with $300 each. That's him, uh, D. Boone, and Martin Tamburovich. And it was, you know, you kind of get the idea when you read this book that, it, you know, Watt was still working at SST at the time they started New Alliance. So, you know, Greg and Chuck and Mugger and Joe kind of helped get him hooked up with the printers and show him how to get, you know, get records pressed, etc. And then we've talked about this before too, but... Jack Brewer's quoted in the book as saying, when D. Boone died, Mike had all of this work to do and all these bands D. had signed because D. Boone was kind of the A&R guy for New Alliance and uh, had all these bands D. had signed and he couldn't handle it. 
anymore, so he sold the record label to Greg Ginn really cheap. Which gets us to this album being on SST, because it's, you know, it, it's originally New Alliance Records 001, 1980, but it's on our list because uh, Greg Ginn reissued it when he bought the New, New Alliance back catalog. And I seem to recall Ryan mentioning this when we did Chunks as well. Discogs has the SST version coming out in 1988. And I thought that was interesting for you and me because we're literally just getting started on 1987. I went through the entire discography of SST at one point and kind of made a note of when, you know, each year started because I was curious about how much how many records they were putting out each year. The one of the first releases they put out in 1987 was that Sacramental Ele Element uh, cassette which is SST 84. As far as I can tell, 1988 starts somewhere around the first one I could find is a handful of sand by Divine Horseman, which Divine Horseman, is yeah. SST one seventy six. So there are ninety ish releases in nineteen eighty seven, give or take. <laughs> so if we if we do, Ryan, if you and I do an episode every week between now and January of twenty twenty one, we'll still be doing nineteen eighty seven releases. Nineteen eighty seven or nineteen eighty eight? Eighty seven, man. Wow. That's how many records they put out in one year. It's crazy. Jeez, man. And this isn't because there were numbers on the shelf to be used, hey? Well, here's an interesting thing I found be. out about that, too. So this came out, or the original one, the uh, New Alliance version, came out in fall of 1980, a bit before Paranoid Time. Yes, November of 1980. Yeah. And uh, Mike Watt talks about this in the book, Jealous Again, which is SST003, came out before Paranoid Time, even though yes. that's SST002. So we've talked about this before, but already at that stage, they were already kind of skipping catalog numbers. And if you remember, Ron was already out of Black Flag by the time Jealous Again came out, right? Which is why they credit him as kind of with a derogatory name on the... Pedras, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's, how, they, that's how fast they, things were moving, you know? I just saw you holding up your jacket there. Is it a cutout? Yeah, it's a cutout. No way, hey? Cracks in the sidewalk was a cutout. Yeah. That's a shame. Anyways, Ryan, that's about all I have for kind of like the history of this record coming out, both in 1980 and then again in 1988. Do you want to talk about the tracks, though? Because I've got a lot more history-type stuff on some of these tracks. Sure, we'll cover the artwork in the in history lesson two, right? Yeah. All right, let's do it. History lesson part two. So I'll just say off the bat, Ryan, this whole thing is nine minutes long. <laughs> the EP. Again, I think I think we said this during chunks, but would have been cool to have this and lots of like people that originally, you know we're around this scene, we'll, we'll disagree with this, but I think they could have packaged these into, into one LP. Cracks, oh, yeah. cracks in the sidewalk and chunks. For sure. The cool thing about this record, though, and I do think this is cool, is that it's split up into sides. Side one is like the punk rock side, and side two is like the studio project kind of avant-garde side, which is pretty cool. Yeah, 
you know what's also interesting too like for a nine minute record yeah at least at least on vinyl and i'm sure you looked this up too it was pressed four times total right yeah oh hey ryan i almost forgot to mention this a friend of the pod jay hinman who uh does this awesome dynamite hemorrhage zine which you oh yeah yeah which you gave me a copy of here yeah yeah if you remember this this issue uh number six he does his uh la punk comps 1978 to 83 and i think we mentioned this on the chunks episode can i read what he wrote about cracks in the sidewalk yeah man I cherish the three-song A-side of this 45 RPM 12-inch compilation as I cherish little else besides my hearth and my health. In 4.5 minutes, all on wide-grooved vinyl so it sounds exceptionally hot and loud, you get the Minutemen doing 9.30 May 2nd, Black Flag absolutely scorching the floor with Clocked In, and Saccharin Trust's best ever mystical ripper, Hearts and, and Barbarians. Does it even need a B-side? Only if your name was George Hurley, Spot, or Martin Tamburovich, who weigh in with brief art bloops. The rest of us can do as I've done for years and play that world-beating A-side over and over again. Pretty accurate there. Like, I, I pretty much rocked the A-side of this this week yeah well i i can't i can't admit to like ever really getting into side b on this like never yeah it was interesting to listen to it this time and kind of go okay you know that was those people who did that and um you know because we have a bit more history on it but yeah Yeah. all right well let's let's do the tracks and then we'll 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 get into it here so the first one is the minute men 9 30 may 2nd 65 seconds long the original if you go on discogs ryan the original new alliance record with version which we'll talk about in a bit when we get to the artwork it has on the lp label it has the song links listed in seconds so this one's listed as written by watt 65 seconds i don't know what pressing mine is but mine says 9 30 may 2nd 105 okay so uh, I got this from Craig Abera. This 12-inch actually came out before Paranoid, Paranoid Time, which we mentioned. So this is actually the Minutemen's first output to reach the masses. Uh, this yep. was part of the Paranoid Time recording session. And as you mentioned, it's also on 032, the My First Bells compilation, and the Water Under the Bridge split with Saccharin Trust, which you've mentioned many times as well. Here's a cool thing I found on a Google search though, Ryan, about the lyrics. And this is from Watt. Somebody, like, this was on, like, a message board. People were debating what the lyrics to this song meant. Okay. And some people were getting pretty deep about, you know, some Watt D. Boone type shit. And one guy pipes in and he goes, yeah, so I emailed Mike Watt on this Hoot page and he got back to me. And here's what he said. Uh, Well, first off, do you want me to read the lyric? Sure. Because <laughs> it's really short. Here's the lyric. Yeah. Merv Griffin said, In the heart of Italy, the people there are probably the least religious in the world. Then Sophia Loren said, I don't know about that. What does American what does America mean to you? America mean and it's spelled America, like apostrophe America. 
America means everything to me. That's the lyric. And here's what Mike said about that. It's actually what I heard on on that date, like 9.30 May 2nd, when watching the Merv Griffin show. <laughs> I, I can't believe I was watching that, but even more, even more, I was even more amazed at the stupid shit coming out of Merv's mouth. Huh. So that's where the lyric comes from. Not surprising, though, because, I mean... We've mentioned it before. Some of the Minutemen lyrics are just like, you know, a note to the landlady. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yep. Good point. Don't use shower. <laughs> <laughs> you got anything to add there, Ryan? Well, for me, this song, it just uh, it reminds me of, it's, it's obviously early Minutemen. It's also, it just made me think that this is early Watt. You yeah, know, yeah. this is this is not fully formed Watt. This is embryonic Watt. This is Watt with a pick. This is Watt yelling. Most of the song, I guess, what, the first 45, 50, song, 50 seconds, it's just kind of like a jackhammer. But then the last, the, the outro, I guess, is very cool and how it kind of ends the song. Because um, for the first bit, you're just kind of like, okay, okay, lots of yelling, it's what? And then the ending has a little bit of a melodic little resolve, which is cool. So that yeah. was kind of my thinking on this track. All right, the second one, Black Flag, Clocked In. This is the Greg, Chuck, Robo, and Dez lineup of the band. Yeah. Uh, 93 Seconds, written by Greg Ginn. This is a song about being a wage slave and punching a clock. This is famous, famously the song that Henry requested the band play when he was saw them in New York before he left so he could go back to D.C. in time to open Hagen dazs which, and he jumped on stage and, and sang it with them, and they ended up asking him to, uh, to come back in addition, right? Yeah. It's also on the first four years, SST 21. And, you know, I was really grooving on Des Kadena. What I did was, I know you don't like Spotify, Ryan, but obviously <laughs> I already have all these records. So it's not like I'm, you know, stealing music or anything, but, and I pay for Spotify. Anyways, I went on there and I made a playlist of all 14 Des tracks that are, yeah. that are available and kind of, it almost makes like an alternate uh, damaged album. Yeah. And I was just rocking to it, man. I like some of these old Des songs I like hearing because they didn't read. And I wish they would have done them on maybe damaged with Henry. Like I've heard it before and American waste and this one. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about this song cause it didn't make it onto damaged, but it, there's three versions of it on Everything Went Black. They It goes back as far as Keith. They do one with Keith, they do one with Ron, and with Dez. So it's an interesting song in the sense that there's no version with Henry, except maybe on a bootleg somewhere. Right. This one struck me as... Well, I think I maybe mentioned it in a previous episode with Dez singing. Like It almost sounds... Milo-esque descendants, his vocals from time to time. Yeah. And I don't know why that's that's what kind of came to mind for me. It's a killer song. I don't listen to the first four years or Everything Went Black as much as I listen to the Henry stuff, like My War and Slip It In and Loose Nut. This will piss people off because Damage is such a revered album. But if 
if it were up to me, like there would be, I would take like say six pack off of damaged and, and put Henry doing this song on there. That'd be cool. Or take off the song TV party and put on, put on yeah. American waste with Henry, you know? I was just I was just gonna say you could lose TV party as well. Yeah, or even the B sides to the TV party single would have fit better on damage than be those better. songs. Agreed. Yep. Yep. Uh Saccharin Trust, Hearts and Barbarians. 118 seconds. It's a Brewer Biza co write. This is the first lineup of Saccharin Trust prior to the Pag- Pagan Icons rhythm section. It's Richard Bonnie on drums and Louis. Maldondo on bass and uh, he says in the in the uh, Craig Abara book A Wailing of a Town that this was the first song Louis says uh, that Joe Biza showed him was this one Hearts and Bar- Barbarians so I think it's probably one of the first Sacron Trust songs I think they recorded this at the same time as uh, yeah Joe Biza says in the book my first time in the studio it was scary they recorded Disillusion Fool and this one, and Disillusion Fool ended up on the comp Life is Ugly, So Why Not Kill Yourself on New Underground Records, which we've talked about a few times. He tells an interesting story about how Mike thought they recorded it. Watts thought it sounded too much like the germs. Uh, Joe Biza thought they had a pretty killer take, uh, and Watt and Spot wanted to redo it, but they didn't have enough tape because they were doing it super cheap, so they rewound the tape recorded over the first take started really struggling to get a good second take after that and they almost had it but they like flubbed the ending or whatever and spot just goes i'll fix it let's just have jack's voice echo off and cover over the ending which is why it does that weird reverby thing at the end of the song which i actually really like yeah when I was reading that for this episode, I could kind of relate though, because I mean, we've been in the studio, <laughs> and, and you're just kind of like, "Well, and you know, you screw up the ending, or you like the song, the take is perfect, but like when everyone is looking at each other, okay, and damn it, we missed it, you know." <laughs> well, you should, and, you should, <laughs> you should uh, say though, Ryan, we have been in the studio and recorded. This is like pre-pro tools, like recorded to tape. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it was all it was all manual punch-ins and stuff like that. But you would we definitely fixed some stuff by throwing on a whole bunch of reverb or something like that. <laughs> definitely have done that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you have anything for Hearts and Barbarians? Um, I guess for me, this track is it's just okay. And I guess my problem and not a problem with it is like because I like all Sacred Trust. It's just. And it's kind of the same with uh, the Minutemen track. It's just, I really enjoy Sacron Trust and Minutemen later on from yeah, this era. For this sure. is obviously this is obviously their early stuff. I totally get it, but it just made me want to listen to you know, Surviving You Always, for example. Whereas with the Black Flag song, they're already kicking ass. In fact, they're getting better. Yeah, you know, exactly. Okay, flip it over to side two. And this is the more avant-garde side. Kindled Imagination. The song is Cowboy and Indian Scene, written by Greg Hurley. 60 seconds, and it's credited to G. Hurley on the original. And I know for me, like, if I just saw Hurley, 
I or especially if I saw G Hurley, I would have probably just assumed that that was George Hurley. Georgie, yeah. yeah. Well, in uh, a wailing of a town, Watt mentions that it was D Boone and and Greg who did this song. Yeah, but Boone is not credited on it. We've mentioned Greg before from uh, that band, The Slivers, which yeah. was also on New Alliance. I don't know. What do you think of this song? It's pretty out there. Yeah, here's here's another thing I found in that way in uh, the Wailing of a Town book, which and this is actually from taken from the Prole, which was D Boone's zine. Kindled ima- this is Greg Hurley. Kindled imagination consisted of me, a guitar player, which would have been D Boone, and a living room, and a lot of exploited feelings. <laughs> and he plays the uh, apple sizer on this too. Remember Ooh. the apple sizer? Love the apple sizer. Yeah. <laughs> There's a thing about the apple sizer in there from Joe Beiser. He says, uh, or no, sorry, this is from Richie Wilder. Uh, Greg had a Mutron biphase, which is a phase shifter, which makes sense actually when you hear the sound. Yep. Uh, he had this plastic apple with some beads in it and a cheap microphone taped to it, and then he plugged it into the phase shifter. And then Joe Biza goes, Greg was really into that apple sizer. He would would perform and do his poetry, almost barking it out. And I love this line. He'd pick up the apple sizer and shake it around. His poetry sounded like he was accusing people of stuff. (laughs) Good one. Okay, the next one is Artless Entanglements. How's the Blood Taste Part 2? Written by Spot and R. Van Helsingden. And this one's 127 seconds, which makes it the longest track on the EP. Ay, ay, ay. We've talked about Artless Entanglements before. They do have a song on the Chunks compilation called Dildos, Bondage, and Toys. I don't have this album, Ryan, but there's a compilation called uh, A Collection of Vintage Spotless spit vintage spotness which we've talked about it before it has this song on it and it has the the chunks track on it and it's got a bunch of other stuff that was mostly he says on the back recorded at media art around this time and a few songs were like in the early late 70s early 80s a few songs were finished up later on at spinhead which we've talked about before which was um phil newman's from painted willie's studio right so I went into a little bit of a deep dive to see some of the fi- try and find out who some of the people that play on that on some of these songs are because they're all listed on the back of this LP. You want to hear what I dug up? Yes. Okay. Well, first I'll talk about this song. Oh, and that compilation also has part one of this song. I have no idea what it sounds like though. Probably pretty similar. Okay, so P- on that. The credit on that album for this one says piano, vocals, and then in brackets, moaning, other, in brackets, blood tasting, Renee Van Helsingden, and then vocals, beseeching parental guidance in the bathroom, Phoenix 69, and then vocals, horse, of course, in the bathroom, guitar, or was it bass, other, Sony television, is spot. I I wrote, this one sounds like Zoog's riff to me. Maybe, yeah. Okay, here's what I found out about some of those other people that recorded with Spotted Media Art. Uh, 
one of the songs has uh, Ron Chavo Reyes credited on drums from Black Flag. Janet Housden, who we've mentioned before, she played with Red Cross. She was in the Love Dolls, like the band of the Love Dolls. She also played Patch Kelly in the movies. She played some drums. John Golden, who is like the mastering and lacquer cutter based in California. If you see JG in the runouts, uh, and he usually used K-Disc or Golden Mastering Stamps, he did a ton of the mastering for... Uh, a lot of SST stuff, and I know Joe mentioned Joe Carducci mentions him in um, Enter Naomi. So I asked Joe Carducci to give me a little spiel on John Golden because I know he mastered a ton of the SST stuff. You want to hear what he said? Yeah. Okay. Here's what Joe Carducci says. I think Spot wasn't happy with the various masterings done on early SST releases. Verco pressed vinyl well, but didn't master well. The first Minutemen punchline cut was a Verco and their automatic spacing was so wide you couldn't space between each Minutemen tune so Spot had them cut it with only two spaces per side. At Unicorn when Spot was doing Meat Puppets 1 he heard Laurie O'Connell rave about how John Golden at K-Disc had their unedited, unedited mix of Songmasters together for their album cut and made it sound good and coherent without much additional time charges. Spot had looked at K-Disc or heard about it, but he then tried them on a recut of Damaged and then Punchline, and maybe others he was dissatisfied with. I started going up to K-Disc with Spot when I could, and once Spot left, I was able to go up there myself and cut with John Golden. Talking with John was like an engineering clinic, and lacquer cutting is its own art and science. Now I think maybe I should have put his credit on the album covers, but we all always recommended him to others, and like Total Access, they wound up getting a lot of business over the years from people who wanted what SST got from them. They had another cutting engineer named Carol, who Mike Watt cut most of the New Alliance titles with. I gave John some album covers at some point, and I think they put up Damaged and Zen Arcade up in their hallway with all of their mainstream platinum album covers. Hmm. So I That's thought that cool. was cool. Yeah. Thanks for sending that, Joe, and good to kind of get that on the record, because I definitely have seen that K-Disc stamp on a ton of SST stuff, so we'll have to start watching for the JG in the runout grooves. Okay. Because that would be John Golden. Uh, a few of the other people that played with Spot around this time, though, Christian Lunch. He's a synth guy. He had a track on Let Them Eat Jelly Beans, a couple EPs on Alternative Tentacles, one in 82 and one in, in 1990. And he also, yep. Ryan, played on that really wicked Witch Trials EP with Jello Biafra. Yep. I've got... <laughs> it's funny, like, when I was a kid and ordering out of the Alternative Tentacles catalogs, Yeah, you know cut out the little thing, fill it in and go to the bank and get a $20 US, like a, a US $20 bill, put it in an envelope. Um, I totally ordered Christian lunch and live, <laughs> live at the witch trials from, uh, from alternative tentacles for sure. Yeah. Did you like it back then? Uh, I didn't like Christian lunch. Uh, I, I can't even, if I'm being completely honest, I can't remember what Live at the Witch Trials sounds like. It's really good, it. man. It sounds like Throbbing Gristle with Jello singing. 
So I have it still, so I should check it out. You should, man. There's a really great track on there about like, it's Jello, like basically pretending to be at like an FBI convention and demonstrate how tasers work. It's really, it's really good, man. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm going to pull it out. Okay. Let's see what else here. Okay. Harold Schwenkel plays clarinet with, with Spot on some of these tracks. And he's also on the Unhalf Baking album that Spot did uh, that came out on Joe Carducci and Bill Stevenson's Upland Records label in 1999. I know we've talked about that label a few times. He's also credited on the back of Everything Went Black as compiling that crass commercialism, the compilation of uh, of radio ads. So I, I think maybe he maybe worked at Media Art or something because he was maybe working on those ads. Deborah Patino plays with him. She played in a band called Ray's Bray with Janet Housden, and she also has a spoken word album on New Alliance Records called Nocturnal. She was in the Ringling Sisters with Pleasant Gaiman and at Zelinskis and Iris Berry. So lots of cool, you know, connections with people that are were around the scene at that time. Yeah, I wonder if, like, I wonder if that record's any good though. It probably sounds a lot like this, you know. I think it was yeah. just Spot messing around in off hours, you know. Yeah, might be neat, but you know, like a, a really wicked record that you would listen to all the time? Probably not. Uh, the third track, Sharp Corners, Me Too, 94 Seconds. This is the Martin Tamburovich project. Watt says in A Wailing of a Town that New Alliance Records was a way to include Martin after kind of breaking up the reactionaries and then doing the Minutemen without him. Yeah. He kind of gets a lot of respect in that book. Martin does. He's he's passed away, but Gary Jacoboli says in the book, Martin was an amazing guy. He was one of the most inspiring and brilliant persons I have ever known. His mind was always active and fertile. He always had something interesting to say. You want to do the artwork, Ryan? Yeah, this is interesting. So I just know that the uh, in that book, Watt talks about how the first pressing of the New Alliance one looked to SST for him. So the second pressing of the New Alliance one, they kind of started the, you know, the New Alliance typewriter look, right? Well, before we get to that, the f coolest thing about about this record that I found in the Wailing of a Town book was when Joe Biza talks about how his proposed cover, like Mike, oh, Mike Watt asked him to, to do the cover, so he took the cover of Jack Brewer, the the one you know everyone knows from Pagan Icons, and submitted that. And Mike Watt's like, I can't have the cover, the singer of Saccharine Trust on the... This is a compilation, not a Saccharine Trust album. Yeah. And Biza's like, it, nobody knows it's it's Jack Brewer or whatever, you know. But Mike wasn't having it, so they ended up using it for Pagan Icons. But that was Joe Biza's proposed cover art. I think you mentioned, though, Ryan, there's three, four versions of this... I did get some stuff with from Craig Abera about this. He says there was two jacket versions when it first came out on New Alliance Records. So I did a little digging. The first artwork is the black one. And yep. like you said, the cracks in the sidewalk. Mike Watt says in the book that the, the typeface looked a little too SST because it's all bold, like a bold font. Uh, the placements of the back panels are different on that one. 
the different fonts for the wording. And there's a quote on the back of that one, communal dreams do happen, try it, which to me is totally D Boone. Yep. Uh, that one has a lyric sheet in it. Then the second New Alliance version, which I think is the one you have, is the the typewriter one. And Mike talks about that that typewriter a bit in the book. He says, I remember we used this one fucking typewriter. We were trying to make a look that was uniform. It's on the album covers too. I typed all the credits and put the layouts together on poster boards. And yeah, that is totally the, you know, the new alliance look that typewriter and the like the fire hose look too right yeah for sure yeah that second blue version oh and that black and white one there was only like 200 of that one pressed the black one the second new alliance version the blue one uh has the back panels arranged like the sst version uh the typeset done with mike's typewriter and then the lp label on the one you has have has the the row of crosses that yes. are, kind of look like master of puppets for a classless society is what it says yeah master of puppets <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm sure i'm sure yeah master of puppets man that's what, what it looks like <laughs> <laughs> oh man okay and then the sst version which i have this is from craig abera he says, I am the one who did the jacket layout for the SST version. I picked a Letraset rub-down typeface to replace the Mike Watt typewriter style. And then Craig goes on. I remember telling Martin Tamburovich that I was the one who did the layout for the new SST version of Cracks in the sidewalk and showing him the new jacket. I also remember him ribbing me about it, saying he liked the typewriter look better. I met Martin around 1987. He was a great, fun friend, and I miss him. And here's Mike from uh, the uh, Craig Abera book. The cover drawings were all Raymond's ideas. He didn't really like being told what to draw. The cover wasn't blue at first, it was black. It was only the first couple hundred, then I went and changed it with the typewriter. Yeah, and the images are, I mean, it's classic Pettibone for sure. Definitely with a, I, I would say, a nuclear war, Cold War, Soviet type of theme. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about the cover. So, do you think like it looks like Raymond P Pettibone like predicted flat screen TVs? <laughs> 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 They've got flat screen a flat screen TV above their like tube TV. I'm not I'm not sure that's what that is. You don't think so? <laughs> no. They have they... like nuclear symbols or something on their foreheads, kind of like forehead. kind of like the yeah. Manson family swastikas only it's yeah they both have um knives as well in that uh, on that flat screen tv i'm just going to go with that i'm not even going to try and <laughs> explain or analyze what it is the flat screen tv has two people both with the nuke signs on their foreheads and stiletto knives do you th are you sure that the dude is actually not a puppet that she's holding <laughs> pretty sure you know what i was you know what i was thinking though ryan what's that do you think remote controls you know how the like my first thought was this is somebody's like turning the tv on with a remote yeah. control 
Yeah. But did they have remote controls in 1980? Or is this person detonating the nuclear bomb that's on the TV? Did you okay. think that too? No. Well, they no, they had remotes at this time. And I mean, even I had a remote control TV when I was a kid from like 1980. But what I think that that remote is... Yep. So here's what I here's what I thought that that flat screen TV was. I thought that that was like a like a slide projector or something, and then that would be the button to advance the slide. That's what I uh, thought. Maybe, hey. Maybe, but maybe not. So that's not a flat screen TV. It's it PowerPoint. Be... <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have PowerPoint back then. Okay, let's do the back cover. Okay. Do you think these Russian dudes? are getting their hair blown back by like a nuclear test or something? I do. Okay. I do. They're unfazed by it, whatever they, whatever they're watching. Yeah. I don't know who they, I mean, the guy on the left looks a little Trotsky-esque. And I mean, I got to think that that's Stalin on the far right in the next panel. Yeah, and he also predicted Donald Trump becoming president there. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure that's Donald Trump? I uh, look the like, hair's too good, hey? Looked like Dick Van Dyke to me or something. Yeah. Okay, and then we've got like a a baby deformed by nuclear waste maybe or something? Yeah, two-headed baby yep. held by the mother re going to uh, pass to the father. Yeah. And then speaking of presidents, in the final panel... Ronald McReagan. Yeah, Ronald McReagan. McNuclear, McDeath, McWar. That's right. <laughs> uh, with a, it looks like um, a vulture, not a stork. This is carried. the this is the thing we've seen before. Yeah, we've talked. This is this on Paranoid Time or something maybe. That's an image. We've looked at that one before with Reagan with the cowboy and the uh, the Indian arrow through his hat before. Yeah. I don't know. On my version, it basically just, uh, you know, as typed by Watt, it gives all the songs, all published by New Alliance, except the one that has an asterisk, which is published by SST, which is the black flag clocked in. Cover art by Raymond Pettibone with an E at this point still. Um, I like this statement. All songs produced by their respective bands with big help of spot with the big help of spot like you know what mine one. says on it here recorded at this is the sst version recorded at media art studio now deceased mine says that too does it yeah underneath so media art was already deceased by the time of the new alliance second edition yeah. and my version does not have any runout grooves other than like catalog numbers neither does mine but do you know what the um Another interesting thing about the black version of the New Alliance one is they didn't have a P.O. box yet, so it has Martin Tamburovich's address listed. Oh, oh yeah, right. Yeah. I remember reading that. Ballot cool. result? Yeah, neat little EP. I mean, I like I like side A. Um, I almost like the artwork best of all. Yeah. Hate to say it. Um, yeah, ballot result. Ballot result. Is it even up for debate? Probably got to be clocked in, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. Good one. Now to waste away the rest of the summer, hey? Yeah. What's next, Ryan? Whenever we, we get there. Whenever we get there. 
Next episode is the SWA record. Roman numeral X, Roman numeral C, I, I, I. Ooh, I can't wait to get back into SWA. Hey, Ryan, have a SWA summer, will you? I'm having the SWA summer of my life, actually, <laughs> right now. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at MoJackPod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is MoJackPod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.